while React is great on its own, it's it's it doesn't actually get you that far. You need to uh, use the ecosystem that exists around React to to. Listening to episode number 13 of 20 Minute JavaScript, where we discuss everything JavaScript related. This episode is hosted by Open Replay, an open source session replay suite for developers. Stop guessing your production issues and check out openreplay.com. I'm Fernando Dolio, your host and podcasting Jedi, maybe for the next 20 or so minutes. And today we're going to be talking about scaling React applications, whatever that means, with a very special guest, Morten Barklund. He's a web developer and author of React Quickly. So, Martin, welcome. Thank you for being here, and please introduce yourself. Hi, Fernando. I hope you're doing well. Um, so, I am uh, Morten. I am a Danish web developer currently located in the U.S. Uh, I work as a freelance web developer, and I work uh, fully remote at an agency called X-Team, which is a pretty large collection of, uh, of developers from, from throughout the world. I think it's uh, just over 700 people working for that uh, company right now. I'm currently working uh, for on a Google-funded project, which is an open-source application written uh, fully in React. So that's a pretty uh, great experience. All right, interesting. And um, I think it's pretty on point with what we're going to be talking about today because we're going to be discussing uh, scaling React applications and what that actually means for a team, for the project, and and. and for uh, for everything essentially because I'm uh, in particular I'm not a big front end guy I I done some front end but I mostly back end uh, so the concept of scaling the front end to me is uh, a bit strange let's put it that way so I wanna um, I, I'm sure and, and I'm sure a lot of people also feel that way uh, so I want to make sure that we cover that and we explain what you mean when you say, uh, when you're talking about scaling applications. So would you please uh, explain what you mean by, uh, when you when you think about or when you plan on scaling a React application? Uh, yes. So uh, when you come from a, a backend uh, framework, scaling is, is a different beast. It's often about handling many users at the same time and, uh, and having a, a large database, things like that. But that is not, of course, not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, this is probably about scaling software architecture in general. So what happens when, when you grow from, uh, from five files to 500 files and from one developer to 10 to 100 developers? Um, and what, what happens when you, when you are ex expanding your small hobby project into a business? What, when, when should you change your, uh, your uh, ideas and your patterns that you're using in your application? And it can also just when you're prototyping things out, or you might have just a small section of your application that starts out uh, with a very few components and it might evolve uh, at some point. And you can't just keep uh, adding on to the same thing. At some point, you need to fundamentally change what you're building. You need to make sure that it scales properly. But there are also other concerns, which includes um, 
just general architecture flow of data. It can also be just a resource usage. You might have an app, a component, a video display component, for instance, that works great on its own. But when you include it into a large website, it suddenly starts hawking resources or uh, things are, are starting to be choppy because it, it takes up too much uh, too much stuff that the rest of the application needs. Okay, interesting. And before we get into the details of that, in, in the context of React in particular, do you think that there is a limit to how much that it can scale following what you're saying about architectural patterns, essentially? Is there a limit to, I don't know, the number of files, the number of developers, the time of the size of the team, of the team working on it? Or are there patterns that allow you to scale indefinitely within the realm of reality? If you're using just React and nothing but like pure React, yes, then there's definitely a limit because it's 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 great for smaller projects. But when you scale uh, to, to larger projects, you need to use a lot more external libraries and tools to make sure that your whole application and your whole workflow works a lot better. This goes for anything from the actual website performance, but also to just uh, how, how the team works. You need to have uh, testing in place. You need to have a lot a lot more external tools in place. So while React is great on its own, it's it's it doesn't actually get you that far. You need to uh, use the ecosystem that exists around React to to fully uh, to fully use it in large applications. All right, but we're talking about like a bundler and so on, or, or are we talking about like uh... Uh, something on top of React itself. So for 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 the website specifically, uh, it's uh, there are some great uh, React frameworks that make it a lot easier to work with at scale. Things like Next or Remix that are uh, that are great tools for uh, for working with it uh, as a website. But if, of course, if you're building a web application, it's a slightly different uh, beast. But um, for websites, yeah, definitely there are some some frameworks built on top of React that you probably want to use. All right. Have you tried already uh, Remix? Uh, everyone seems to be talking about it. What What, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I I'm a big fan of it. It it does uh, it is an opinionated framework, so that will probably uh, uh, rub some people the wrong way because they might have different opinions than what this framework does, right? Uh, that but that's how it is with uh, opinionated frameworks. But if if you if you like what they're doing, then it's definitely a really really good tool. It's it 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 allows you to use React on a on a different level in a different mindset. So you're not thinking about uh, the the website in the same way. You're thinking about your routes in a different way. You're thinking about data load in a different way. Uh, but yes, I have used it, and uh, I will actually also be using it in the book. So there will be some projects in Remix. Awesome. All right. Okay. Going back to the topic. So. You, you mentioned something interesting. Uh, you said that even if you have a scaling uh, application, general, an architecture that allows you to grow, you might ha still have uh, or include individual components that may screw everything up. How is that possible? And, and what kind of problems have you encountered? And what can people do to avoid those those issues? So one of the one of the biggest issues when you are when you are creating a React application at scale is minimizing re-renders. Because uh, 
React components, they re-render for a number of reasons. And if you don't fully understand those reasons, you might have components that re-render when they don't have to. And that's that's not a big problem if you just have five or 10 components. But when you have 500 components, it's a big problem if 100 of them, they re-render all the time for no good reason. So minimizing re-renders is one of the most important things when you're building larger React applications. And React is pretty good at it, pretty good at informing you about how things are working. But there's also a lot of uh, secret magic going on behind the scenes. So it, it can be a bit tricky to figure out exactly what happens where and for what reason. All right. And, and do you think that using something like Next or, or Remix makes the job easier uh, in that regard? Or it, since that works as a, an extra layer of abstraction, if you will, on top of React, would it make it even harder to figure those, you know, uh, those tricks out and, and, and try to solve those re-renders? Uh, yes and no. So for, for one thing, uh, uh, server-side renderer does not really uh, change how your component re-renders. So, it, it, so, so for understanding component re-renders is kind of independent of the framework, right. but it does add the complexity that will also render one time on the server. And you need to make sure that the server render is identical to the front-end first-time render. So that adds uh, some complexity because of rehydration. Uh, so, so you need to make sure that it, it rehydrates properly, or at least that you are making sure that it, it renders empty the first time. If it, if you can't render it on the server the first time. All right. Uh, okay. So going back to to a browser, what are kind of the, the usual gotchas that, that you as a front end developer want to look out for when you're creating a, uh, or writing your component uh, that you want to make sure that you know you're not constantly re-rendering like you mentioned. So that, that's a, I think that's like the, the main thing you have to learn as a React developer. So there are no, uh, there are no quick takeaways uh, for this because that's, that's kind of your whole job. That is to create uh, <laughs> components that render only when they have to render. And okay. that's kind of what you spent your next uh, many years learning how to do. Okay, um, fair so enough. Think, thinking, about, uh, thinking about memoization is, of course, a big part of it, but also just creating the, the correct component architecture in the first place, thinking about data flow, thinking about events and callbacks and async programming. And it's, there's a lot of components that go into it. It's, it's, it's kind of your main job is to, to, to render the right things at the right time. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And at a project, at a project level, what are some of the problems that you've seen preventing projects from scaling? Uh, I'm assuming it has to do with the project internal structure and the architecture, but kind of, um, what are, if, if, Let's look at it the other way. Uh, instead of looking at the pitfalls, let's look at, let's look at it uh, at the um, at the good practices. What are some of the good practices that you will recommend or even implement in your own projects if you know that uh, what you're building needs will need to scale up to a big team or even to a you know bigger project uh, with many many components. So first of all, a, a React project is like any other software development project. So things that would make any project fail would, of course, also make a React project fail. So you need you need a proper architecture, you need good management, you need a, a good workflow, et cetera, all those things. Yeah. Uh, for for front-end and JavaScript uh, projects in, in particular, I think things like uh, coding standards are important because it's 
it's much more loose. People will do things in many more different ways and there can be uh, stupid discussions. But I can speak from personal experience and say that my life became so much easier when I uh, embraced a tool like Prettier, which does code formatting for the entire team in the exact same way. And I never have to worry about whether this thing goes on a new line or not. It's just made every, everyone's life so much easier because you just eliminate a lot of the, uh, a lot of the conversation, a lot of the, uh, the friction between team members. Another important part is uh, automated testing. It's, it's, it's really important uh, that you include this on different levels. So uh, I, I prefer to have unit tests for the more hardcore calculations. If you have uh, state reducers or if you have uh, components that, that does some pretty complicated logic, it's really good to have unit tests for those. And if you have UI libraries, it's really nice to have visual tests for those. You can have some kind of a, of a screenshot testing or a tool like Storybook where you can do a, a visual testing of uh, libraries, which is a nice thing to have. And then you just integration test everything else so you know that your components, they work together in the correct way. And if someone changes something, then then it'll it'll fail the correct uh, correct things. All right. And uh, well, you mentioned pre there, but do you have any other preferred tools uh, regarding automated testing and integration testing that you would uh, usually pick for your own projects? I think that depends on personal experience. I, I, I have tools that I would go for, but that's because I know them and they're probably just as good as, as many other tools. Um, but the whole... Uh, the whole um, Testing library uh, suite of tools where we have React testing library is a, is a really nice suite that I, I personally prefer for, uh, for integration testing, but there could be other tools for, uh, for other parts of an application. All right, perfect. Um, say that you're, you're building an MVP, uh, a pretty tight scheduled MVP that you know you're going to have to grow eventually and, and refactor into something bigger. Do you have suggestions for teams like that work going through that process to like look ahead of what's coming? So without losing a lot of time, you know, creating a big architecture for something that right now doesn't need it, but that will eventually need to grow. So like key actions or key patterns, if you will, to pave the way into something bigger. Do you have kind of that, those kind of suggestions? So for 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 most components, I would say that it's a it's a good idea to to not overthink them. And I, I personally uh, ascribe a lot to the principle of Yakni, which is you ain't gonna need it. So don't don't build something that you don't know for sure that you're gonna need. So for for visual components, I would just stick to exactly what I need right now and not uh, prematurely uh, try to optimize. But for the overall architecture, there are definitely ideas you can start bringing in. First and foremost would be things like a data flow and a API structure. So if you know that you're going to have a global state, start thinking about how you would handle that state throughout your project and think about how, how the, uh, the different parts of the project would be uh, communicating with each other. I think that you, you, can, you can scale that out from the start, even though it will be trivial and there will be very trivial connections between different parts. It's, it's a good idea to just start fleshing them out and schedule and organizing them in different, uh, in different sections. All right. Interesting. And regarding state in particular, what would be either the tool or uh, let's, let's call it the, uh, the way you would 
structure that so that you know it'll grow would you like stay within the the, the use context or you know co- um, hook or would you go into a third-party library and 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 if you will which one would it be would it be like a redux or redux toolkit or would you go to something something more lightweight what would be your pick there so I'm a big, uh, big fan of uh, of context and and use context in general, and I would always use that. Uh, there is actually a, a tiny library called Use Context Selector, which uh, which adds to the use context everything that Redux okay. toolkit does. So it, it, it so it, it so all, all of the optimizations that you get with Redux, you can get with this tiny library, and you can build everything with uh, context and just uh, use a context selector, and you're pretty much there. Uh, but uh, it's also starting to, uh, or it has been for, for quite a while, that many um, data libraries, the data fetching libraries comes with built-in state. So it has a built-in state and will automatically update its own state. So if you're loading a list of things and then later you're, up, you're updating one of them, the, the, the library you're using will update its internal structure because it, it knows the structure of your data so it can it can update internally so you can so it'll it'll update the list before the server responds and then when the server responds it'll pre it, it'll refill in that information the server might have changed some variable somewhere or filled in some extra properties so so uh, so tools like apollo for graphql has that and a react query which is a popular tool for for Classic REST APIs also has a similar caching of your uh, of your data. Cool. All right. Interesting. And now, how is this? Let's put it this way. Covered in your book in React Quickly, and 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 tell us a little bit about your book. So React Quickly Second Edition is a six hundred plus page book that uh, has two parts. The first part is React Fundamentals, so it goes over some of the React API, the most important parts of the React API, but definitely not everything. That would have taken another 300 pages, I guess, if we should cover everything in detail. Um, so that's that's for understanding React itself. But the second part, the last 300 pages, is about the React ecosystem and all of the external libraries that we're using. So we're covering Prettier. We're covering uh, testing libraries, covering... Um, uh, data loading libraries, so both Apollo and React Query. We're also covering Remix and the Next and all of that kind of library. So, so we're talking about all of those different things as well because you can't really use React uh, for anything but tiny hobby projects if you don't understand the ecosystem. Nice. All right. So everything we'll be talking essentially about is covered in the book, even that and more, of course. Yes, definitely. Of course. Interesting. All right. Uh, and we're going to have a discount code for our listeners on the show notes for your book. So uh, make sure you check it out. So before we end this quick interview, um, I'm going to ask you three questions that we ask all uh, guests. All right. First one is, what is the best advice you ever received? That is definitely learning to learn. And it, in software in general, but in front end in particular, over the last many years, uh, learning to learn is super important. So when someone comes with a new project or a new tool or a new library, it's very important to quickly being able to assess uh, what it does, what it replaces, where it fits into your stack, and if it's useful or not to, to your current needs. Absolutely, I a hundred percent actually one hundred and fifty percent agree with that. I, I that's a, an advice I always give to new new developers. I mean, 
the whole ecosystem is always changing. So if if you if you learn to pick things up quickly, you'll be you'll be an advantage. So definitely. Uh, so number two, what is the most exciting project you worked on? That is uh, fortunately my current project nice. for sure. I've been working on this uh, open source React application uh, for the last two and a half years now, and it's been a great experience. Um, so uh, the scary thing about it is that it is a WordPress plugin. It sounds uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty horrible, uh, but I have not touched PHP at all. Uh, all right. First of all, and secondly, uh, we're, we're building is a pure React application that is just happens to be a WordPress plugin because that's where most uh, developers are. So it's a it's a visual editor. It's kind of like Google Slides. Where you can uh, where you can create pages with different items on it, but it's for creating web stories. So stories, kind of like Instagram stories or Facebook uh, Messenger stories, but for the open web. Nice. And why are you using uh, WordPress as a headless CMS essentially? Uh, it, it it the whole project is a plugin for WordPress developers. So it's so it, it's meant for for publishers to install on web websites. Oh, okay. So so we're creating the plugin and. Uh, have uh, thousands of websites using this plugin. Nice. All right. Final question. Uh, what is one thing you wish you knew before you got started coding? So I learned programming in uh, in the university. at uh, And what I learned, I have never used 90% of it after I finished. I think. All right. But I had no idea which 10% I would be using. So <laughs> kind of had to pay attention uh, all the way through. And I've I've been surprised by which parts I ended up actually using and referring back to later. So that, that can really uh, come as a surprise. Interesting. So you're saying uh, you wish you knew the, the 10% to pay attention to, to just pay attention to? Uh, yes, but I also think that that's part of the journey. So it would have kind of Absolutely. been a cheat if I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, uh, that's all the time we have for, uh, for today. Thank you very much, Morten, for coming in and, and discussing scaling React applications. Please tell our audience uh, where they can find you and where you're online. Uh, definitely follow me on Twitter at, uh, at Barkland and, uh, and I can uh, link to uh, other things from there. Yeah, all right. We'll have the links in the show notes anyway. All right, again, thank you for coming. It's been a pleasure, a uh, real interesting topic. And I hope that uh, people get the book and pick up on, on it uh, even more. All right, bye.